Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host. Today, this episode contains talk about suicide. And if you're struggling or contemplating suicide, please reach out for help. You can call 988 or 1-800-273-8255. If you're in the United States and if you're international, you can do a search for a suicide hotline and get support, reach out for help. It may feel in this moment that there are no solutions and that the pain lasts forever, but there is hope and there is help. Please reach out for it. So today my guest is Amy Law and Jeff deck and they're going to talk about their book we got this kids a real-time and raw glimpse of alcoholism depression and loss during the search for more sunrises amy's brother andy committed suicide after a struggle with alcoholism and depression and as he was doing that he was writing his memoirs but never got to finish them. So Amy shares some of her story of taking that memoir and collaborating with the writer Jeff Deck to bring that to completion and share it with the world. I want to recognize Amy and her family's courage and Jeff's courage to take Andy's story and bring it to completion so that others can understand and also get help and and know that there are other sunrises out there to get to. Before we start, if you're enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please rate and review it in iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. I really appreciate it. Or share the podcast with a friend. That's awesome too. And think about joining our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast and click join. All right, let's start this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. I have two great guests today, Amy Law and Jeff Deck. 
and we're going to talk about your very powerful story of your brother and his struggle with alcoholism, Amy, and his his suicide. And we're going to talk about all that. So in in reading that, it was it was I guess it's incredibly touching and and well, anyway, Amy, jump in and introduce yourself and let's start the story. Thank you, Dwayne. I'd like to start off by thanking you very much for having us. I both Jeff and I are honored to be on your platform and be able to share Andy's story. And thank you so much for having us. So my brother took his life, died by suicide in September of 2019. So it's going on three years now. Andy was 52 years old at the time. He had been a significant alcoholic for about three decades, 30 years prior to this. We had, my family had experienced it, his friends experienced it, his community experienced it. It was not light alcoholism. It was a very severe substance misuse disorder and affected every part of his life. However, he was extremely intelligent and he was, he was very successful and he was, you know, a wonderful friend, a wonderful sibling, never married, never had any children. And, and his life story certainly didn't end with him taking his life. There's a lot embedded in his story. So I'm going to skip to uh, throughout a lot of it. I'll start by saying the book shows a lot about our, our childhood was turbulent. Um, I have, myself and two other brothers. My mother was married four different times. We moved a lot throughout our childhood. Andy was the oldest of the siblings. And, you know, turbulence can create its own set of um, problematic circumstances, the, the moves and the instability. And um, even though we were, we were loved and we were cared for, there we still had a different set of problematic circumstances to deal with, with all of the the moves and all of sort of the inconsistencies related to that. Andy didn't cope with that very well. Our father also importantly died at a a really early age. Um, Our real father, who we were very close to, I was nine, Andy was 11, and my younger brother was seven. And Andy took, as the oldest, sibling, he he took a lot of that on throughout all of that turbulence and inconsistencies. So he started drinking pretty heavily while he was in high school, and then it continued through college. And then after he graduated from college, it, it became increasingly worse. And even though he was able to work throughout it, he was a, he was a real estate appraiser, and he he was able to separate his work from his substance misuse. But he just sort of muddled on throughout the throes of his addiction. He became quite bad in about 2015. He really entered a phase of his misuse where it was starting to impact every portion of, of his life. The, the, the degree of separation that he had been able to maintain started to break down. He was not really functioning very well. He was very depressed, um, along with the alcoholism, extremely right. depressed. Right. And, and I'll get to that. You know, I, I'm not sure, you know, depression or alcoholism, what comes first, what leads to the other? Where, where do you draw the line between the two? He, his whole life, he had that significant degree of depression also. And then in 2017, he, he got a DUI. It was his third in over the course of 
the three decades. And he went to rehab at that time. I, the day he got the DUI, I flew up to where he was living and spent 13 hours on the phone trying to find a bed. There were wow. absolutely no beds available, and certainly none in his area, which is, was rural upstate New York. And, and it was just so eye-opening of how challenging, you know, this is. I recognized immediately, I am a, a registered nurse. I recognized immediately that there's a very small window of opportunity where somebody is willing to get the treatment. Yeah. And over the course of 30 years, we tried so many times, Dwayne, just family interventions and, you know, and, and. So you really, you could really see the, he, Andy was really struggling. He was struggling with depression and you, you could see that. And he was struggling with alcoholism and, and you knew that. And it sounds like you were really trying your best to be there for him through this, through this process. And every opportunity we had, my, my whole family really was, and, and we tried, you know, everything that we thought that we were doing correctly to try to, to help him through it. When he got that last DUI, immediately we recognized that he was ready, that he would do it. And the hard part about that is knowing that that window of him being willing was so short and no beds available, nothing in the area. Right. We traveled, we got in the car and tra traveled by car eight hours away for the closest bed, but we did it. And he went to rehab center. Unfortunately, Dwayne, the rehab center that he went to, the workers went on strike a week of him being there. Oh my they, goodness. And they gave him two choices. He could be discharged to home or they would fly him to Las Vegas and this was the, the rehab that he was in was in New Jersey. So he would have to leave his neck of the woods even and, and fly all the way to Las Vegas to continue his treatment. And those were the only two options a week after he arrived in rehab. So you, you were able to get him there with all of that effort and seize this opportunity, find a bed in, in, in our healthcare system, especially around mental health, which is, you know, that's really hard in of itself. You get him there and then there's some strike going on. Yeah, I don't even know what to say. So he did opt to be discharged. But Dwayne, here's, here's you know, what's really interesting and that we do focus on a lot in the book. He actually, there's some journal entries of his rehab stay, his week-long rehab stay in the book of his tools that he learned and some of, you know, he took notes of what he was learning in some of the briefings. Dwayne, he, he never had another drop to drink the rest of his life. So that moment really for him had some kind of change, but it sounds like he was still struggling with the depression and, and still struggling with all of that. I mean, and when you saw that and, and part of this, you writing this book was, was getting his journal, you know, yeah. after, after he died and, and yeah. putting these pieces together. Yes, absolutely. So when he got out of rehab, part of his, and, and absolutely, the depression was never addressed. That was still there. That part was right. not addressed. He, and he, he wanted to write a book in, in the, with the intent of helping others about how it really felt from a visceral level of his journey through being a severe alcoholic for 30 years. Now suddenly, having in his mind, you know, no choice of, um, other than to 
stop the drinking because his life as he knew it would unravel um, if he didn't and and how that felt and what he was going through in a real and raw chronicle of events. So he was writing this book and everything was improving. My family was so proud of him, Dwayne. We, he, he, I talked to him every single day on the phone and my other brother did too. And we were so proud of the progress he made. And he had an, a circumstance in his life that was related to his job that would require him to, they were going to put a, a suspension on his real estate appraiser license because he did not complete some of the uh, continuing education units. He got that information and he absolutely, that whole situation in his mind right. exacerbated to something he he felt like was the end of his livelihood, that it was something he would not be able to get to the other side of. And and that's so sad. And what the book talks about so frequently is depression lies, Dwayne. It, yeah. it lies. And it, it lied to my brother. And as a result, it robbed him of the rest of his life. He felt as though one thing was going to lead to another. And now he wouldn't be able to do what he loved doing and his livelihood and that his license would be permanently revoked. And I don't, you know, I, I know in my heart what he did was an accident. His mind was very temporarily under siege. He didn't want to do yeah. that. And he did. And then Dwayne, three days later, we got a letter from the state saying that it was that we, my other brother and I received saying that his license was reinstated and there was no problem. Oh, that just breaks my heart. I mean, at such a deep level. And, and you know, I can see and hear in your voice how much you saw your brother's suffering, Andy's suffering in, in this, and how much you cared for him and, and wanted to love him through the depression. And, and like you said, depression lies. And when we have that depression, someone a long time ago told me, Depression is like a poverty of options. You can't see that there are other options out there. It just it tells you there's no escape. It's like a pit. It's you feel like you you believe at times you can't get out. It'll never ever change. And yet, you know, when you're not depressed, we can see, oh, there are options. There's things I can do. There's what you know, but when you're in that state, it's so hard. And and even I would imagine as a loved one trying to trying to tell them that is exasperating because they can't hear it sometimes. That that's right. That's that's exactly right. And and that's that's what the you know one of the messages we're trying to convey with the book is is exactly that. He says in his foreword when he was writing the book that he's in search of more sunrises and there are more sunrises, Dwayne. And yeah. there's tools and there's help. And I'd give anything to go back and be able to know those tools and help to help him hear that message. Yeah, I I totally believe that. And I, I think when we're left behind after a suicide, when, you know, there's so many unanswered questions of like, what were you thinking? Why? How? What was going on? Why didn't you do this instead? Why didn't you reach out? Why? Why this? And and then you have his manuscript. Right. So then uh, we have his manuscript. He had sent it to me about a month before he passed. He was very proud of it. Again, it was aimed at helping others struggling with addiction. 
and how he was getting through and how he was happy and excited that he was getting through. He was so proud of his recovery. And after he passed, you know, I looked at that manuscript again and, and, and knew I just, there's also a couple things. I'll be brief on this too. Andy was very smart and extremely funny, Dwayne, like, so funny and 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 so smart that Jeff and I have several footnotes in the book because it's mind-boggling how he could so quickly make a reference to something and you know we have to chase down those references and I thought Jeff was just brilliant with the way he composed the book so in the interest of time I'll I'll fast forward a little bit more when I read the manuscript again I thought I can't, I can't let this die with my brother. I, I just, I'm not willing to do it. He, he, this is too helpful and this has too much embedded in it that really could serve as a, as, to help not only the sufferers, Dwayne, but also the families. You know, yeah. if, if I, I learned, if I can share my story and it helps even one person and it has, I, people reach out to me on social media who have read the book and, and, and thank me. You know, one gentleman just last week said, I, I just can't believe how much this resonated with me. And when I get that, I just can't imagine a better feeling. But I, so I was looking for an, uh, I, I wanted to just see if I could find an editor. And I was hooked up with, at the time, the president of the New Hampshire, through an acquaintance, a president of the New Hampshire Writing Society, who referred me to four authors that I interviewed. And I was just really drawn to Jeff. And this is important when when this this person who referred me to Jeff, he ended his statement telling me that all of, of Jeff's attributes by he's also a really, really great guy. <laughs> so I um, and, and for everybody out there listening, you you can't you might not be able to see this, but Jeff is Jeff is with us here. So we're going to give you an opportunity to speak to Jeff. But keep, keep going, Amy. So I interviewed Jeff and I knew that that would be the perfect match. I mean, he's really brilliant. He's, he's just so kind and, and, and just everything he said resonated with me. And, and I think it's important to say also that this was his, his first, and he's great. He's written, I don't know, four or five books. I'll let him tell you about that part, but, um, prior to taking this project on, but this was his first book that he wrote that is nonfiction. So, you know, he's received huge accolades for the book and, and just did, exceeded every single expectation I have of it, Dwayne. Wow. Wow. So Jeff, let's introduce yourself and we'll, we're going to bring you into this conversation because I think this is where the story, as we go, you you have this manuscript, your, your, your brother's life, you know, you care so much about your brother and to go through this and to find this manuscript and you, you find Jeff to, to do something with this. Yeah. So I had written several books to this point. And, uh, you know, I, my first book was nonfiction. It was, uh, about a, a typo hunt across the, the country. And, but I had really been mainly interested in, in fiction. I had been focusing on writing novels. But when I read the, uh, you know, the half finished memoir that Andy had been working on, there were two things that, that just really jumped out at me right away. You know, one was, his voice, uh, you know, he's very funny, very raw, like just utterly captivating throughout telling his story and through his observations on life and, you know, his lived experience. And the other thing that really hit me was the, the value of the manuscript that 
Andy had really wanted to write this in order to help other people. And I could see immediately that his story being told as he experienced it in so much detail, a kind of real-time look into into the mind of someone dealing with issues of mental illness and addiction and recovery, that this was something that we weren't going to see very often, that uh, you know most memoirs about addiction and recovery are, are written long after the fact, right. after, after the person has kind of had time to really like you know, make like a neat narrative out of it and, you know, maybe be a little out of touch with the way that they were kind of experiencing things at the time. But Andy's story was so immediate and raw that I felt like, you know, the value that it could provide to other people suffering in similar situations was potentially immense. It sounds like you could really, with this writing, really see into... Andy's heart and his mm-hmm. spirit and and what he was going through as he was suffering. Yeah, I never got the chance to know Andy when he was alive, but yeah. through his words I I feel like I really know him. I feel like you know, the book in finishing it up and in fleshing things out and incorporating the voices of Amy and other loved ones in his life, it's it's almost like a conversation with Andy. And the book is kind of shaped that way. Uh, Amy mentioned that there's a lot of footnotes in the book. You know, there's a lot of kind of clarifications that we wanted to make on things that Andy said, you know, a lot of obscure references that he was dropping because obviously he was very well read and knew a lot about, uh, you know, things that we wanted to make sure everyone got his references and jokes and everything. But some of the footnotes too are just almost like responses and reactions to to what he's saying. And so our idea, you know, the the effect that Amy and I really wanted to have for the book was, you know, not just his words in in isolation, but in in the context of the people who cared about him and in the context of this larger mission that he himself had wanted his story to accomplish to help other people. Yeah. What what was it like, Jeff, for you to kind of walk into this situation, into this family that has gone through this tragedy, this loss? Uh, and I imagine that's its own story right there. Yeah. I mean, as somebody who's collaborating with not only the late author himself, but with the the family with uh, with with Amy and other folks. If you're in that position, you really want to do honor to both the intentions that Andy had when he was writing his words, because obviously you can't do an edit and then say, "Hey, Andy, you know what do you think about this? Do you mind if I right. if I cut this, you know, joke that gets a little too dirty, or uh, you know, <laughs> or what if I like rearrange the sentence structure so that's just a little clearer." that people are getting what you're intending to say. Like, you don't really have that opportunity. So it's a lot of kind of being very careful and ginger with his words and trying to preserve as much as possible because my role is not to make it my story, but to bring his story to the forefront. And in so doing, bring Amy's story to the forefront as well. And, you know, the pieces of the book that she wrote 
that contextualize Andy's struggles and talk about the situations uh, in his life that he didn't really get a chance to write about and to add extra dimensions to what he did write about. They really, I feel like they're a huge part of what makes the book resonate for folks, you know, as much as Andy's own brilliant voice and storytelling uh, is being able to, to see right in the book how the things that he was going through were also being uh, reflected on and affecting the people who really cared about him. Yeah. Wow. Um, what, what an undertaking. One of the things I, I was thinking as we're talking is that we haven't even mentioned the title of the book. So oh, yeah, <laughs> let's go into that a little bit, you know, cause it, I like the title and I want to understand it more. Yeah. Thank Amy's got a good story behind that. <laughs> would you like to share that story, Jeff, or would you like me to? Oh, you, you should definitely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this, the title of the book, Dwayne, We Got This Kids, is after Andy passed, we were in shock. I mean, there, there's parts of parts of the first day that I, I don't even recall. I mean, I was in, I was at a business conference in Florida when it happened. I have no recollection of getting on a plane and flying to upstate New York. You know, I, I know it's, it's compensatory. You just, you, you, you just take over and go through the motions and, and you have, your brain is, is being protected <laughs> really. I mean, it was right. just that yeah. shocking that I just went into this compensatory mode that I, I just have, you know, little recollection of. But so we, we made some, the arrangements to have his wake and his funeral and, you know, and, and, and slowly over the course of two or three days, I, my memory has, as you know, I, I was able to be present in the moment again. And the night of his wake, myself and my husband and my brother, our other brother, and uh, one of my children and my son-in-law were all sort of debriefing the day, just debriefing that night, just um, the wake, the funeral was the next day. And, and we did, we decided to do so at Andy's home. We went back to his home and really just were there for each other during the debriefing. And we noticed that on his refrigerator, he had a big sign that said, you got this comma kid, you got this kid. And it was a daily reminder, a daily affirmation to him. Uh, forgive me if I cry. I'm sorry. But it was a, okay. a daily affirmation to him to keep going, keep persevering in, in, in facing his recovery. And, and also, you know, with the hopes of him facing his depression, you got this. Keep going. Every day is a different day, one day at a time. So he had a big sign on his refrigerator that said, you got this, kid. So during the course of our debriefing, I took it down off the refrigerator and I changed the U to a we and put an S on kids because, you know, it's about all of us now. I mean, we've, we've right. got to find a way to get through this and we will, but we got this kids and Jeff and I toyed around with some titles, but at the, you know, we kept coming back to it. That has to be the title of the book because Again, it's it, our intention is to help others, Dwayne, and to help families, to help everybody who's suffering from addiction, mental illness. We want to normalize talking about it. We have to, you know, we, we especially now, we have to normalize the ability to talk about it. So that's how the name was derived and, and how it stuck. I love that story. That is so powerful and, and 
just makes so much sense. And I just picture you there in the kitchen, looking at that, trying to understand why, trying to understand all of that. Thank you for sharing that. That's such a powerful story. And and I was also just thinking about the tremendous amount of of courage that you have to share Andy's story and to let people into that is truly inspiring. I appreciate that, Dwayne. And if I can just say the reason I appreciate that is because it's it's not easy. It's not easy to open myself up, my family up, you know, to some degree, Jeff up. But, you know, it is, it, it's, it's time. It's, it is time to normalize some of these conversations. I just feel so strongly about that. We have to, it's overdue. Yeah. And your conversation, like you said, you're getting those responses from people who need to hear this conversation, especially about suicide and especially about mental health and depression and and to be able to get into Andy's space, you know, to understand what, what it is really like to suffer with a mental health issue like this or you know, or alcoholism, because sometimes if, if you're not there, it can be so hard to get it, if that makes sense. It's almost sometimes can be inv- not invisible, but not seen at the, the level of pain that a person is in who's struggling with this. Uh, yeah. Uh, every person who has reached out to me said almost those exact words, Dwayne. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's just a, a beautiful thing. Another thing I was just thinking about too is in writing this book and reading Andy's story and kind of moving through all of it and and taking all of this information. I'm just wondering what did you learn about Andy that maybe you didn't know in, in doing this work? I I imagine that this shared something with you or you saw maybe a piece that you hadn't seen before. So for me, two things, really. In reading his writing and seeing how funny he is, even in the book, it's it's just, you know, it, it there's every emotion in the book you can possibly imagine. There's extreme joy and extreme hilarious humor and, and, and then extreme sadness and extreme, but also there's extreme hope. <laughs> and then there's right. extreme tragedy. You know, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's every emo- human emotion that's embedded in that book. But what I really learned the most was with all that humor and all that joy, you know, my brother was really, really, really hurting. And the, the saddest part for me was, is even though I did recognize it, I, there's tools since I that I've even discovered since he passed. There's platforms, there's avenues, and and they may not be grandiose ones. They may be small ones, but there's so many ways to help. And I can't underemphasize how important that is to recognize that, that small things even can be so helpful, even if just helping with loneliness and feeling like you're alone in mental illness or, or depression or alcoholism. You're not. <laughs> you're just not. There, there is help, but it can be challenging to find at times too. And I think, you know, once again, your story is another tool in in helping people who may be suffering, families or the person themselves, or anything like that. Yeah, I, I think what you see also with Andy getting the opportunity to share his his story is that 
he wanted to live, you know, he had, he had plans and like you see in everything that he's writing that he chose the option of continuing on with life. And you see how, you know, Amy was talking about how depression really, you know, can really lie to you. You were saying how it, it makes you think you have a lot fewer options than you have. And you really see through his writing just how, how temporary a, a decision it was and just in yeah in a moment you know a temporary decision leads to irreversible consequences and and we really hope that people see that in this book and recognize if they are having a really dark moment that it's a temporary thing there's ways to work through it that you don't want to make a permanent consequence come out of that yeah Absolutely. There is hope. There is the possibility for change. I just want to thank you guys for, for coming on. Usually I like to ask one question before, and maybe each of you can answer this if you want. It's just sure. if someone out there, maybe it's a family member or or maybe it's the person themselves and, and they're suffering or they're listening to this and they're in some kind of pain, what would you want to tell them if you could say one thing to them? I would say, hang on, hang on seek out the help. And no matter how small you think that help is, it probably has the potential to move mountains. Hang on, like Jeff said, through any any dark moments, hang on, make that call. Make that call, begin that conversation, whether it's to a hotline, a family member, make that call. I also want to say one more thing too, if I may, to families, listen, If even if you have even the slightest barely audible alarm going off in your mind, pay attention to it. Pay very close attention to that. If it's present, act on it. Oh, thank you, Amy. Jeff? Yeah, I, well, I just wanted to mention 988. If you feel like you don't have someone specific to call, there's a number like 911. 988 is, uh, is specifically for mental health crises and it's an easy number to remember uh even though it's just look double check in on my phone to make sure i didn't get the numbers wrong but i feel like three numbers should be easy to remember Nine eight eight. Oh, reach out for help reach out for help and if people want more information they want to know more about andy and your story where can they find you where can they get more information where can they go so the book is available on Amazon at We Got This Kids is the, the title of the book. Andrew Marsjanik is the author. And I, you know, I, I've had people reach out to me on social media if they want more information about the book. I'm more than happy. It's also available in some select bookstores. Jeff, I, I'll let you take that piece. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, it, mainly in the seacoast area of New Hampshire and Maine. So very local. <laughs> but uh I think uh, for folks uh, in other parts of the country, Amazon is uh, is probably their best bet for for getting their hands on it. It's gaining yeah. a lot of attention, Dwayne. So you know, our hope is that it, it can reach more people and become more widely known, and and therefore more widely available. It's an incredible story, and just going back, I just admire your your courage to take the risk to speak openly about it and and put it out there and give Andy a voice 
so that he can he can help others who might be in the same pain that he experienced and and to give that back it's it's just an incredible incredible gift to the world thank you so i will put all those links in the show notes as well at the addictedmind.com so people can go there and 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 find the book too and amy jeff thank you so much for just coming on to the addicted mind podcast sharing your powerful story i just it, it really has just touched my heart today well, thank you so much we really appreciate it thank you so much for having us Dwayne. really really appreciate it all right everyone thank you for listening to the addicted mind podcast as usual all the show notes will be at the addictedmind.com so check them out If you got a lot out of this episode, please think about writing a review in iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. That would be awesome. I'd really appreciate it. It's very helpful. It helps people find this podcast and get this information. And you can also join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook, type in the Addicted Mind podcast and click join. All right, everyone, have a wonderful rest of your day. And if you're struggling, know there's hope out there reach out for help. And if you're thinking of suicide or contemplating harming yourself in some ways, reach out, call 988, or you can call 1-800-273-8255 and get some support. All right, everyone, have a wonderful rest of your day. Talk to you on the next episode. It's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.